Hello and welcome to the A440 Podcast, the one music podcast everyone can get in tune with. I'm your host, Charles Fiore, and we're listening to Holly Herndon's song Frontier off her 2019 album Proto from 4AD. And we're listening to me running afoul of copyright laws. This is the final episode of season two. Thank you so much for listening over the past few months. We actually fit in two entire seasons over the course of a single year, 22 episodes. And it's it's been really just such a joy to sit down with these musicians and these good people who work with music in interesting ways and really just listen and learn and get some insight into subjects or aspects of music I've always been curious about, or maybe I hadn't even heard about before producing that particular episode. So needless to say, my to listen to list will take me deep into 2020, and I'm sure yours will as well. Part of the reason I started this podcast was to have an outlet where I could share music that I was excited about, you know? I think an original idea for the show was to start every episode with a song by whoever I was into that week, and you know, then sort of do a soft review of whatever musician I was stoked about. You know, what materialized was far more interesting, uh, beginning every episode with music by the featured guest or a related sound. But since we're wrapping up not only 2019, but also the entire decade, the 2010s, I thought, you know, to close out season two, I might just talk about for a few minutes the things that have really caught my ear, not just this year, but over the past 10 years as well. Because I could try to do some top 10 lists, like every other outlet, but lists are always relative. I mean, there's no way I could do a top album list, for example, because I'm not going to sit here and compare Holly Herndon's Proto, which I love, to the Milk Carton Kids, which I also love. I mean, even though I love them both, I'd really have to do top 10 lists in every genre and so on. I mean, I'm not going to compare those two. So instead, I thought, I'm just going to spend the next few minutes talking about the things that got me excited both in 2019 and over the past decade in general. Holly Herndon's song Frontier opened the show, and her album Proto is the album that really stood out to me this year, and I think she's as good a place as any to start because she represents the kind of songwriter I've been most excited by, not only in 2019, but the past 10 years as well. Uh, I came across Holly Herndon in a New Yorker review by Hua Su, his review, like most of the media swirl around the album, focuses on the fact that, you know, to make the album, Herndon collaborated with a two-foot-tall gaming PC that she built uh, with her husband. And basically, the neural networks in this PC, she taught how to, like, use her voice uh, to compose. I don't really understand the who's its and what's its of the tech. I mean, there's plenty of info online if you're interested But what Sue's review didn't mention, but what became immediately obvious to me, is that Herndon had taken voicings and harmonies from the American tradition of sacred harp singing and not only made them current, but shot pop composition 50 years into the future. I love sacred harp singing, by the way. I'd I'd do an episode on it, but it might end up taking an entire season for me to fully explore it. Melodically, Herndon brings a real pop sensibility, so her songs are catchy, They kind of give you that quavery, excited teenage feeling in your belly. Uh, But her songs are also rooted in tradition. It doesn't get much more traditional in this country than shape note singing, even while her songs are fully layered by samples and both electronic and acoustic instrumentation. She's just the most recent artist like this to catch my ear, though, and she falls naturally in line with 
other coincidentally female, and in these other cases, non-American songwriters like French musician Claire de Terzi and the Argentine songwriter Juana Molina, who I'm making everyone listen to whenever I have a chance. Here's Un Dia by Juana Molina off her album of the same name. So I throw Grimes in there as well. Uh, I saw Grimes live at Moogfest 2015, and I overheard one concertgoer describe Grimes as, quote, weird music for normal people. Now, that's fair. I think all four of these songwriters could be described that way. One thing they share is a tendency to produce and record themselves. And to me, they're like some kind of flowering extension of what Moby began in the late 90s, creating electronically rooted music by himself in his apartment with one foot in pop, you know, friendly to dissonance, a little offbeat, but still very rooted in tradition and still mostly accessible to anyone who had half an ear uh, and could appreciate the way their songs were kind of pushing the familiar. Perhaps precisely because they were sort of sequestered, they were able to create something without concern for marketability and discover something cutting edge. (laughs) All these songwriters, when I first heard them, were revelations. Some kind of light exploded in my brain. At the risk of falling victim to recency bias, a light exploded in my brain this year when I saw Tank and the Bangas in Raleigh in May. I would have to put that particular show at the top of my best concert list, not only for 2019, but for the entire 2010s. I went in cold, knowing them only by reputation. Not only was their show an absolute blast, I mean, they bump, but to me, they somehow are the most contemporary of any band working today, rooted in tradition with brass, backup singers, but their songwriting and subject matter is completely of today. Diverse, weird enough to be interesting, but still with a kick-ass backbeat. Sometimes I feel like you can tell a lot about a band by the crowd at their concerts, This crowd on this particular night in Raleigh was diverse, all races, all genders, a wide spectrum of ages, a hip urban crowd, to be sure, myself excluded, but it kind of felt like some kind of utopian future at that show. Everyone digging the music, everyone getting along, everyone having a good time. It was like a space version of New Orleans where Tank and the Bangers originated, but with a very worldly, outward-looking perspective. As my friend, who so graciously took me to the show, asked at the time, Dude, like, from where did this band spring? And I had the same question. I mean, listening to Tank and the Bang is live is like watching an adult dominate a peewee football game. They're just on a different level entirely, doing their own thing, way ahead of everyone else. I'm not going to play a clip, though, because I really feel like recordings of Tank and the Bangers don't do them justice. So go see them. If they're within a 100-mile radius of you, go see them. Some things are better live, though, right? That's a real thing. Bluegrass music, for one, which I like, but I always find bluegrass loses something when it's not live. Baseball, much better live than on television, and I would argue the same could be said for Hamilton the Musical, which I will say is the best musical I saw this decade. 
It's not a bold choice, I know. It's like saying Harry Potter is your favorite magician. But like Harry Potter, I resisted the hype around Hamilton, ignored it, figured it couldn't nearly be as good as everyone was saying, despite the fact that people were paying literally thousands of dollars per seat to see the show on Broadway. I never listened to it. I tuned out when people started talking about it. But when it came to Durham, North Carolina, as part of the national tour, I figured, what the hey, I may as well take the Mrs. A440 podcast and go see it. And just like when I finally began reading Harry Potter to my daughter, both of us experiencing the books for the first time together, I realized, hey, sometimes the public is right. Hamilton was an amazing theatrical experience. Aaron Burr's Wait For It stands among some of the most magical moments I've seen on stage, up there with Defying Gravity from Wicked or Bring Him Home from Les Miserables. Similar to Tank and the Bangas, Hamilton seems to be playing an entirely different game from everyone else. Diverse, rooted but forward-looking, steeped in history and tradition, but then it takes all that and delivers knockout punch after knockout punch with all the power of story and stagecraft behind it. I never listened to the recording, though. You know, hey, theater was meant to be seen live, and I don't know. You know how, like, when you hear a song and it's so amazing you want to replay it and then play it again and again, but that sometimes when you do that and you know all the words, sometimes it loses some of its luster and appeal and you kind of end up getting sick of it? I guess I don't want that to happen to Hamilton for me. It was so incredible. I'm okay leaving that as a live experience. I don't don't have to know every word, you know? I don't have to know the backstory of every member of the original cast. Let's take a short break and listen to some of Claire de Terzi, who I mentioned earlier, uh, her track Lodalisk from her 2018 album Tableau de Chasse. I heard somewhere that you stop listening to new music after the age of 35. I think that's definitely true uh, for some people I know, but I'm happy to say that I am well past the age of 35, still definitely listening to new music. But my musical tastes have changed. The kind of music I want to explore has changed and definitely widened over the past 10 years. I moved to North Carolina 10 years ago last month. I suppose that in early 2010, I might have predicted that were my musical tastes to change that in 10 years, I might be influenced by what's considered traditional Southern sounds. Like maybe I'd be listening now to a lot more gut bucket blues or claw banjo. I think being South has definitely influenced where I've gone musically, but not in the way I would have expected a decade ago. For example, I'm very into the band Sylvan Esso, which turns out is based in Durham. There are two albums are two of my favorite from this past decade. And the show I just saw last month might have been my favorite of 2019 if I hadn't had the chance to go see Tank and the Bangers. But Sylvan Esso's pop synth, traditionally rooted sound was not something I would have expected to find in Durham when I moved here 10 years ago. Moogfest, of course, has had a big influence. And I've gone a few years. I've heard a lot of crazy stuff. I heard a lot of stuff I might actually listen to again, but having easy access to musicians working on the cutting edge of EDM and electronic music in general has definitely challenged my ear in exciting ways. 
I remember having a conversation with a stranger at a bar not too long after I moved down here. We were talking about jazz, and the stranger said something like, you know, you know that you know that in Durham somewhere, there's this tiny little club where all the famous jazz musicians go to play after their shows, you know, like something sweaty and underground. And I remember 10 years ago, you know, deciding like, yeah, I want to find that club, first of all, but that I also wanted to learn more about jazz and to try to understand it. I was listening to a lot of it, and I, I just I didn't feel like I had my arms around it. Well... Well, I haven't found that uh, sweaty club yet, although I, I do finally have a lead, I think. But it has taken me 10 years to feel like I finally have my head around jazz as an art form, maybe as much as one ever can, I guess, you know, without being a professional musician. Uh, but at least I kind of know what I like now and how to, how to talk about it. Part of that has to do with WNCU, broadcast out of Durham. And part of that is uh, the Jazz U program that was run by the Carolina Theater a few years back, which offered backstage access to musicians like Jean-Baptiste and Arturo Sandoval. I mean, I love that program, man. I wish they'd bring it back. Part of that is the book Playing Changes by Nate Chinnon, which I read this year, and uh, which not only was an easy read, but really gave a nice overview of the two branches of the modern jazz scene, sort of helped me organize my thoughts and tastes when it came to jazz. Uh, so I definitely recommend it. That book is Playing Changes by uh, Nate Chinnon. Now, I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't mention the Decemberists, who the Mrs. 440 podcast and I saw at least three times this decade. Uh, we saw Colin Malloy solo once. It's safe to say that if the Mrs. and I have a favorite band, it's the Decemberists. And in a weird way, I feel like we got into them at a time of our lives in the mid-aughts when their music just kind of spoke to us, you know, at a time in our lives. And I don't know, somehow the band's music has aged and changed right along with us. It's like every time they drop an album, it hits me right where I am at that stage in my life. You know, it's, it's kind of creepy, actually. I don't like thinking too much about it uh, or I freak myself out. But still, I thought a shout out to the Decemberists was definitely in order. I was moved to tears a couple of times by music, at least this decade. I don't mind saying. Once, uh, once was at a Milk Carton Kids concert, uh, again at the Carolina Theater, uh, a song written for the daughter he didn't have yet and that apparently you can't find a recording of, Charlie. Love that duo, Milk Carton Kids, moved to tears by that song. Also, Phoebe Bridger's Smoke Signals offer a 2017 debut, Stranger in the Alps. Damn song gets me every time. And I am not at all the kind of person to be moved by celebrity news. I, I don't really pay attention. And yet, when Leonard Cohen died in 2016, I surprised myself by, yes, being moved to tears. It was a stressful time for my family that fall. And of course, the elections happened. There was uncertainty for me personally, nationally, globally. I was sick as a dog for two weeks. And uh, you know, I was already feeling like some tortured protagonist in someone's existential novel, you know, when uh, I saw the news suddenly that Leonard Cohen had died. And, you know, the dam broke. So rest in peace, Leonard Cohen. I do feel like giving some shout outs to some more obscure and maybe not so obscure bands and songwriters who I got into this past decade and who provided some excellent musical experiences. Uh, I'm just going to list a few names here, no particular order, and then I'll be sure to link to them from the website, a440pod.com as well. So shout outs uh, in no particular order to the Banditos. Saw them in 2016. They've got a huge sound ready for prime time. Uh, teen. My wife was eight and a half months pregnant with our first daughter in 2012 when we saw them at Local 506. My wife, Mrs. A440 Podcast, is a rock star, literally gave birth the following weekend, teen. The Wind in the Wave saw them twice in 2018, band out of Austin. 
The Velvet Teen 2015 album, All Is Illusory. Composer, Steve Reich. Antony. Eric Hutchison. Gotta appreciate any singer-songwriter who also plays fantasy baseball. The No BS Brass Band. Sheer Mag. Anything that features David Rawlings playing guitar or, frankly, a pair of garden shears. Jimmy Stewart, the country singer-songwriter. Snooty Wild and Flint Eastwood. Special mention to the Lumineers. Now, I, I liked the Lumineers' first couple of albums. Uh, very easy to listen to. Saw them live in 2016, shortly after North Carolina passed the HB2 law. And at that time, a lot of bands, and authors, and artists were canceling shows in protest. But the Lumineers kept their date in Cary and donated all proceeds of that show to Equality North Carolina. Uh, and I just thought that was like an outstanding thing to do. You know, instead of canceling the show in protest, they came, they played, they honored their commitment to their fans uh, who range across political spectrums. But they took that money and donated it to an organization who's doing a ton of good uh, for the people most hurt by the HB2 law. Also, middle of the concert, you know, this concert took place in a big outdoor amphitheater. So imagine a very large, grassy, sloping lawn and uh, you know, a couple thousand people there. Uh, Lumineers, midway through the show, grab their instruments, come out into the middle of the crowd, get up on this little riser, smack dab in the middle of the uh, crowd, and play like a five-song mini set, kind of acoustic mini set, uh, right there in the middle of the crowd. So suddenly, us, who were like, had no seat at all, were suddenly like basically front row to the Lumineers. And uh, I just thought that was an outstanding thing to do. Like, stand-up band, man. Like, understands their fans, understands what it's like uh, going to a concert, understands that it's because of their fans that, 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 that they are where they are. You know, I just, I thought it was an amazing concert. You know, as a guy who's friendly neutral on the Lumineers, uh, it was still one of the most memorable shows of the decade. Another special mention to the Listening Room Cafe in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, it's a kind of place you go into, you pay a little bit. You, there are signs everywhere saying like, if you talk, you will be kicked out. Then you sit down at these long picnic tables, drinking uh, freezing cold PBR and eating popcorn, and you just sit down and you listen to like a two, three-hour set by some amazing uh, musicians. Uh, and it was like the most memorable show uh, in 2018. And I wish um, there were more places like Nashville's The Listening Room Cafe, and especially here in the Triangle. Uh, I'd be there like every weekend. Another special mention, uh, Jessica Hoop, who I saw in 2014. Now, she was third billing on a kind of a festival night. I actually went to see two other bands ahead of her, but got there in time to catch her set. And it was amazing. Now, I mean, this is someone else whose songwriting doesn't really translate into recordings, unfortunately. But if you have a chance to go see her live, especially if she's just doing it by herself, like the way she plays guitar, I honestly haven't seen anybody else approach that instrument in quite the same way. And uh, honestly, she stole the show. Another special mention, all the dudes and dudettes I saw shows with this year and in the past 10 years, those are special friendships when you can groove in the presence of someone else. Thank you. And of course, every single guest who has taken time out of their busy lives to be a guest on this podcast, thank you, and thank you all for listening. Remember, every name I dropped on this episode, uh, I'll link to from the episode website. Let's jam again soon.